and welcome to the sixth season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Dominic Frisbee. Dominic is a voice actor and comedian from London who also dabbles as a financial writer. His podcast musical, Kisses on a Postcard, based on the musical by his father, Terence Frisbee, was recently released. We're going to talk today about podcast musicals. Hey, Dominic, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. My pleasure, Shoshana. Thank you very much for having me. Well, we'll get right into the get to know our guest questions. So what was your first experience with a musical? Well, I'm 53 years old, so I'm probably slightly older than you and most of your listeners. And uh, media has changed a lot uh, in over the course of my lifetime. And when I was growing up as a kid, we used to have LPs, records, albums. And so my in my memory, the first musicals I ever listened to were going through my mother's collection of radio, of records. And the two that I remember specifically are Oklahoma. We had an LP of that. And I just listened to that over and over and over. And the other one was Oliver, the Lionel Bart Oliver. So those were the two that I, you know, grew up listening to. And then I will have seen on the telly things like The Sound of Music and also Oliver. And um, if you ask now, I, you know, my dad was of the theatre and my mum loved the theatre. So we used to go to the theatre all the time from a very early age. And we'd see things like pantomimes and stuff like that. But I still, I don't actually remember what the first musical I ever saw was. But Oliver and 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 Oklahoma are two that I feel especially close to. And also the Mikado. My mum had a record of that and I used to listen to that a lot. And then the first one I remember quite well was Pirates of Penzance, another Gilbert and Sullivan, which I was in oh, nice. <laughs> at the age of eight, playing a fairy. And uh, Iolanthe as well. I played a fairy in Iolanthe. And sorry, I saw Pirates of Penzance and I was in Iolanthe. Oh, yeah. So those are my sort of formative musicals. Bit of Lionel Bart, bit of Rodgers and Hammerstein, and a bit of Gilbert and Sullivan. Nice. That seems like a good collection uh, to start with. What is the last great musical that you saw? The last great musical that I saw is the last musical that I saw, which is The Book of Mormon. And um, I was very late to that particular party. When I saw it come out, I thought it was a bit of an easy target um, and everyone was going, it's brilliant, it's brilliant, it's brilliant. And I was, I just thought it was too easy a target. But um, for one reason or another, oh, because of Kisses on a Postcard, I went to see a lot of musicals over the last couple of years just to sort of get au fait with what's going on. And I went to see Book of Mormon and I absolutely loved it so much that I've now seen it three times uh, in the last year. Oh, nice. And and not like rubbish seats either. I, I paid do- top dollar and get the best seats. I just <laughs> think it is a work of genius. And there's two songs in particular in Book of Mormon. The first is Turn It Off. And I just think it's one of the most brilliant numbers. And 
it's, you know, I'm forever quoting it. If I'm in an argument or in a discussion mm-hmm. with somebody and they've got problems, I'll just go turn it off. And uh, <laughs> and then the other is I just got baptized. I think is so funny. And so I, I like comic songs more than anything. And Book of Mormon is full of them. I think it's a real masterpiece. Nice. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen I saw it, you know, over 10 years ago now. This makes me want to revisit it. Yeah. What's a musical that people would be surprised to find out you love, and why would they be surprised? Uh, there's an inter- probably Book of Mormon. Um, <laughs> I, I love lyrics. I just love witty lyrics. And so, you know, I love everything by Gilbert and Sullivan. And their three or four masterpieces are Mikado, Iolanthe, Pirates of Penzance, and uh, Pinafore, I think, are probably their four best. And... I don't think people would be surprised if I said that I loved those because of the fact that I'm a bit of a old fogey and I like English stuff and I like old fashioned stuff, but they're not normally the sort of musicals that you'd cite. You you know, people call they're they're operettas really rather than musicals. Um, But I guess those ones and another musical that I saw just six months ago, I was very lucky an American friend of mine, was coming over to the UK and uh, his daughter persuaded him that by coming over to the UK, he was at risk of being uh, nuked by Putin. (laughs) So he uh, decided not to come. And um, as a result, uh, and he loves musicals and he'd bought front row seats for Les Mis and for um, Hamilton. So I went to see, I had front row seats for Hamilton and Les Mis. And this is the new, there's a new production of Les Mis. The original was Trevor Nunn directed it and they've sort of redone it. I forget who the new director is. So it's different from that original production. And I think they've improved it. The actual story is the Mm. same. The music, the music's, you know, pretty good. But it was just so beautifully done and just so full of emotion. What a story. So... I don't think Les Mis is something you would normally associate with Dominic Frisbee, <laughs> so we'll go with Les Mis. I uh, also like Les Mis, and probably people would be surprised to find that out about me How as come? well. Just because, well, probably because I went through a period of not liking Les Mis and then came around to liking it again. Have you seen um, the new production? No, I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but... Uh, when I was a kid, I was really... I had like a year where I was really into that show. And then I got off of it and I was like, oh, Sondheim, like, you know, all those shows are better. And uh, but then I came back around to liking it again. But I would love to see it again. I hope a production comes back to New York. I'll tell you another one that I really like. I mean, I I guess your listeners like esoteric stuff, you know. There's a range, yeah. Uh, I saw it not so long ago. I don't know if it really counts as a musical, but the film Cat Baloo with Jane Fonda. Oh. And um, there's uh, Nat King Cole and I don't know the name of the other actor, uh, play the sort of narrators. And so all the way through mm-hmm. the story, they sort of break into song. And it's, I, I suppose it's half a musical, but, but you know, Jane Fonda doesn't yeah. break into song. And then it's got that performance by Lee Marvin, which is the most, I think the most accurate portrayal of an alcoholic that I've ever seen. So that's a fantastic film as well. Oh, I'll have to check that out. That sounds good. What moves you the most in a musical? I have to say what moves me the most is a really funny, witty lyric. 
I've I've always loved lyrics more than anything. You know, I write comic songs myself, and and mm-hmm. you know, so there's sort of three or four people who I regard as genius lyricists, and and Noel Coward is one. Although I don't think he ever wrote musicals, and Gilbert is another. And those two mm-hmm. guys who wrote Book of Mormon, I mean, their stuff mm-hmm. is so funny. But yeah, and and Cole Porter obviously is a brilliant lyricist. But but yeah, yeah. I love a good lyric. And finally, what is a moment in a musical that you think gets to a complex emotional state you didn't think was possible to get to? I'm going to go back to Turn It Off mm-hmm. by uh, uh, in Book of Mormon because yeah. uh, they've got those three stories that they tell in the song. The guy missing his sister's death by cancer because he was buying a phone in the iPhone store. And uh, what was the other one? Oh, the guy who's watched his mum get beaten up and, you know, these horrible, horrible, but very real things. And the way of dealing with it is turn it off. And uh, <laughs> I just think it's so funny. And it, funnily enough, it's it's a good way of coping, too. Well, great. Let's move on to our topic, which is podcast musicals. Uh, really excited to talk about about podcast musicals. We really haven't done too much of that on the show, uh, on the podcast. So, um, yeah, what, so what got you, uh, interested in podcast musicals? There's two things really. The first thing is I'm generally very, very interested in podcasts. I like them a lot. And you know, I've always been a fairly prolific reader, but there are other people who read a lot more than me, a lot more quickly than me, and the information that they've just read stays with them for longer. And I think we only, human beings, only really invented words as a means to transfer information over distance and over time. Um, otherwise, you would just say the words to the person sitting next to you or standing next to you. And I think the human brain absorbs words better and absorbs information better through the ear. And as I say, we don't absorb information as well through the written word. Some people do. There are exceptions to that. But most people absorb information better through the ear. But there wasn't a way to transfer information as effectively over distance and over time, through the ear, as there was as the written word. Whether the written word was stored in bits of clay or eventually on bits of paper or eventually in books and however the written word was stored. And in fact, um, I'll ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Of all the plethora of religions that existed in, you know, ancient Mesopotamia or ancient Egypt in ancient times, why did Judaism survive and none of the others? Well, I, I'm assuming it has something to do with, uh, uh, you know, uh, something auditory. No, the <laughs> opposite. On. They wrote it down. Oh, okay. Every other religion was, the information was transferred orally. Oh, and okay. the, the practices were transferred orally and the Jew, Jews wrote theirs down. And so they preserved it in a way mm, that you can't preserve yeah. the, the spoken word. And in fact, that's why Christianity uh, outlasted all the pagan religions in Northern Europe because, again, all the, uh, um, you know, the Norse religions, whatever it is, they were all uh, oral uh, religions, whereas mm-hmm. the Christians wrote theirs down. 
And um, it's a way of preserving your heritage and preserving lots of things, is writing it down. It's why so much African history has been lost, because it's all transferred orally rather than written. I mean, now it's written, but, you know, historically. So, yeah, so we have this incredibly powerful thing, the written word. But now, suddenly, with modern technology, we have um, podcasts. And with podcasts, Mm -hmm. you have a means of transferring information over distance, over time, and recording it. And I think one of the reasons that explains this incredible boom in audio that we've seen over the last, whatever it is, 15 years, um, 20 years maybe, is the simple fact that people absorb information better through the ear than they do through the page. And so we've seen, for example, the rise of audio books and you just speed up the play. If you want to, you can listen to an audio book on double time or, and you can do the same with a podcast. And I, I just, you know, so many people have learnt so much and informed themselves and widened their, their knowledge through the medium of podcasting. And, and it's also been, it's a proven fact that people do have long attention spans and they'll listen to a three hour Joe Rogan podcast, whatever it is. So, so that's, so that's thought number one, the incredible power Mm -hmm. of the ear. And so let's, we'll just park that little thought for a moment. (laughs) And then the next thing is, um, when I was growing up 1970s media or sorry, format is often determined by the media that is available at the time. So, for example, um, a lot of early TV was sort of halfway. If you think of like the Phil Silvers show or something like that, the, the, mm-hmm. those sitcoms that were recorded in front of a live studio audience, it was sort of halfway between theatre and the new medium that was TV. And the the now, you know, we've got sitcoms, Curb Your Enthusiasm, whatever it is, they don't bother with the studio audience. They just they record it but so you've seen the you see the evolution and a really good example of that is again with sound is with the invention of long play lps radio uh, uh, records you were able to store that much more audio uh than you were with the previous 45 records and so on and so you saw the rise of this new form format the album and I suppose the golden age of the album was probably the 60s and the 70s, maybe the 80s as well. And, you know, albums didn't really exist before then. But with the rise of the internet in the 90s and, and iTunes and playlists and all the rest of it, the album as a form has kind of died a death. It still exists, but people don't really mm-hmm. listen to albums. They listen to playlists and 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 so on. So... You know, if you think of the great albums, whoever it is, the Beatles or Led Zeppelin or David Bowie or whatever artist you care to mention, you know, the, the great era for the album was was then. OK, so we're going to park that second thought now and come to third thought, Okay, <laughs> which is in the 70s, you had, I suppose the 70s was the golden age of the concept album. Mm-hmm. And so... You, the most famous concept album is probably War of the Worlds. Are you familiar with War of the Worlds? I think it might be more of a boy's story than a girl's story, but it was the oh, the H.G. Yeah, yeah. Wells story narrated by Richard Burton, yeah. but with music by Jeff Lynne, uh, who was a brilliant jingles writer for adverts. 
and it, it had that great thing, dung dung dung, dung 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 dung, and you had the Richard uh. Burton narration. No one would have believed that in the last years of the twentieth century, minds, you know, all this brilliant. Uh, I said twentieth century, nineteenth century. So you had that brilliant Richard Burton theatrical mm-hmm. voice over this fantastic electric music, and he had all these electric sounds that denoted the different Martian machines and so on. So it was a fantastic pe- piece of work, War of the Worlds. Loads mm-hmm. of people my age just grew up listening to it over and over. And then there were other brilliant concept albums. Bowie did loads. Um, uh, the Who, you know, it was a, just an age where the, the wall, in a way, Pink Floyd is a sort of concept album. And you mm-hmm. had all these, you know, over the course of an album, there would be a story that was told with music. And I thought with the rise of podcasts and, and everything else, one thing we would see a revival of is that sort of, the concept album would find a new, and it's sort of musicals. It would find a new um, lease of life in, um, you know, through audio books and podcasts and so on. And with this in mind, I actually put together a a concept album called The Shadow Punk Revolution, uh, which was set, you know, five years in the future. And it was all about, um, it was basically a metaphor for Bitcoin. But it was all about this these uh, this brilliant scientist who had invented um, these cloaks of invisibility, which he sold on the dark net, and um, so people started wearing these cloaks of invisibility to protect themselves against state invasion of their privacy, CCTV cameras, and all of this. And there was a big, you know, privacy growth of the state argument. But people were also using these cloaks of invisibility to commit crimes. And it's a bit mm, like Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, some people are using Bitcoin for privacy, but other people are using Bitcoin, you know, to launder money or sell drugs, whatever. Right. So it was a metaphor for all of that. And I had a um, brilliant uh, Israeli musician called um, Asaf, who uh, um, uh, wrote the music. And he put together this brilliant electro guitar soundtrack and uh, and then I narrated. I've done a lot of voiceovers, and I narrated it in my best mm-hmm. sort of narrator voice. And I thought that was a sort of really compelling, you know, exploration into the into this, you know, the potentials of this new form. And some of the yeah. musicals that you sent me sort of do something similar. It's sort of rather than full on musicals, it's sort of narrator sound effects and interesting mm-hmm. music. Um, but. You know, the Shadow Punk Revolution, it did, I put it on Audible. I did a, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it's it got a few listeners, but there was a few things I got wrong with it. So it's only an hour long. And I think people thought, yeah. well, if I get, I've got my Audible credit and I can get a book eight hours long <laughs> or I get this and it's only an hour long, I'll go for the eight hour yeah. long. So a lot of people didn't buy it for that reason. And it's, but those who do buy it really, really like it, but it hasn't sold that well. It hasn't sort of gone viral. It's like a lot of things that people on the internet produce. I think it's a good, strong piece of work, but for whatever reason, it didn't catch a zeitgeist. I just started using Audible, so I will use one of my credits for that. <laughs> I think I'm like I think I'm like the opposite of, of most people then, because I'm always looking for shorter. Uh, things. Well, well, <laughs> have a listen to that. But but anyway, so that was a an exploration to that, and even though yeah. that's had only now that was a lot of work. You know, to write mm-hmm. the music, to write the story. You know, the problem is it's easy for me to have a conversation with you 
uh, and right. and we can put together an hour long podcast. You know, it's fairly easy to put together. But if you've got to write a right. scripted drama that's an hour long, that's a lot more effort. And then if you've got to write a soundtrack right. to it, so you know, a lot of podcasty stuff is fairly disposable, and and there's a few that interviews, great interviews and stuff that people go back to. But a lot of podcasty stuff is, you, you know, it's it's hot for a week or two and then it's gone into the ether. And, you know, with the expense and the effort and everything that goes into producing a musical, you've got to have, it's got to have a longer shelf life than this week's cool thing, just because of the work mm-hmm. involved. But nevertheless, right. with everything I've described from the, 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 the transmission of information through audio and the concept album and all of this, I do think there is an opportunity for people to do really interesting musical things through through that um through this medium but there's a lot of risk because people don't want to pay for their content on the internet everything's got to be free right and you know you've got to get that many more hits uh on a podcast thing uh, on a a musical thing to to warrant the expense and the time of making it so you know it's hard yeah um well let's start uh talking about just some of the podcast musicals that are out there um, that uh, have, I guess, gotten some, some traction and some, some listens. Uh, I had listened to Anthem Homunculus when it came out. It's, it was a bit like, you know, when you were a student and you'd have a spare mm-hmm. afternoon and you'd go and watch some art house film in, in the local art house cinema. Yeah. And You'd, you'd come out of it and go, yeah, yeah, that was really quite interesting. And I thought Homunculus <laughs> was a sort of podcast equivalent of that. Yeah, and- yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's um, that was John Cameron Mitchell's uh, podcast. So as a fan of his, I that's why I wanted to listen to that, you know, when it came so out. So who is he? I don't know uh, who he is. So he did, like, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, um, musical and the the film version and he's done a lot of like films also probably like you know a lot of uh in the style of what the films you're describing yeah. kind sort of, of like exploring art, himself artsy. and that kind of thing yeah and this was very much and i i agree like in the style of of kind of his work which is very art you know artsy and introspective and very introspective film. yes exactly and i couldn't work um, out like he talked about being ill and i couldn't work out if he actually was ill or if it was just a device in the story. Does that make sense? I wasn't sure if it was him or if he was playing a character. It was a character. So I don't need to worry. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah. And I, you know, I love, I love them. I mean, he doesn't write the music. Um, He had, I forget. Oh, Brian Weller. Um, So Brian Weller wrote the music, but I, I I know like whoever John Cameron Mitchell collaborates with. I love that you know, the style, that rock style. When I think about you, I think it's all been said before. The words rang true. What were they for? You were a small disappointment. A careless hand on the thigh. The sweet inferred words that were never implied. Could frame the fearful asymmetry between lust and love. This godless synapse for the thought. 
caught between what you want and what you bought. Are you the final thread that binds the world to me? Baby, is that all you want to be? The end of love is a terrace grief that's like a trip. And then the the other one on that list was uh, um, Fall of the House of Sunshine. Uh, right, right. And that's that seems to have done really well. That seems to have been going on for years and um Yeah, I I only listened to a few episodes of that, but um yeah, there were a lot there's a lot of episodes of that yeah, one. Yeah, so that's a that looks like it's a sort of minor success story. And mm-hmm. in Strange Woods, there didn't if I'm recalling the I'm getting muddled up, but in Strange Woods, I think it was it was very much the sort of narrator and music device. I, yeah, that one was interesting because it it was I felt it was kind of taking the form of a podcast, uh, like an investigative podcast. Like we're going to interview, yeah, yeah. These people. Like I've listened to a few podcasts like that. That you know, about, it was like know, serial with music. Wasn't subject. It? Mm-hmm. It was, I, actually, I thought in Strange yeah. Woods was really good, but I wouldn't class it yeah. as a musical. It was they used mm-hmm. music well. It was just it was it was just. It was a drama, really, but with with some music to to add some added tension and emotion, and, song yeah, moments, and the rest of it. But yeah, it was yeah. it was good. Yeah, that one. So, Fall of the House of Sunshine seemed to be. It was like kind of like kids. It, it reminded me of like a show on Cartoon yeah, exactly. Network or something. Exactly. Where, yeah, <laughs> but popular, and I guess yeah. you know parents who care about the education of their kids, which is most parents, I suppose, mm-hmm. but not all. <laughs> Would you know? Would play play that in the car and at home, and it's 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 wholesome media for kids to consume. Right, right. Whereas thirty six questions was the one. It was like only three episodes, and it was the couple who had uh, broken up and yeah. were trying to come yeah, back yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't give too much away for those who haven't yeah. <laughs> listened to it. But, but they're all they're all interesting explorations of of the new format of the new media mm-hmm. and yeah and you know I, I keep i'm a massive fan your listeners will probably hate me for saying this but i've got mid journey the ai <laughs> art app and i'm forever playing uh-huh. with it and it just draws the most <laughs> beautiful pictures and i've been mm-hmm. reading about how ai you can start doing music production now with ai mm. so given that given that that is possible i think you know i think the skill with ai is going to be in the prompting and i think we will see what i've talked about you know the exploration of the the new genres but but it'll be that much easier to make with ai than having to get mm-hmm. you know a whole orchestra in it is interesting like i was not a podcast listener for so many years and like i didn't grow up with the radio I grew up with was very much just like a song 
hear like some chatter and then it was mostly Mm -hmm. music you know it wasn't like stories that kind of had you know was not my you know that was er for earlier generations so it's been it's like interesting to think about trying to train my ear again to go back to getting my stories in this uh yeah in this way i wonder like what works beautifully in audio is just the simple device of a narrator and you could just have a guy with yeah. a good voice reading a good book out loud. And quite honestly, that's as good as audio as you'll ever get. But but mm-hmm. I wonder, having said everything I've said, uh, and you obviously adapt the musical to make it work as a podcast. And so you, you tweak the format slightly. And narrators, in my opinion, don't work as well on stage. They work mm-hmm. well in film yeah. and they work well in audio but but on stage i mean they can work but um you know shakespeare never used them for example he used them a bit he would sometimes mm-hmm. have a, a rumor or someone or a, a would go and do a monologue at the beginning of a play but 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 and they would have soliloquies but i don't think narrators you there i mean there are some shows with narrators but mm-hmm. i still wonder if people need to see musicals bizarrely Mm -hmm. so i think the concept album that area will do very well and there's a lot of creative potential there that hasn't been fully realized yet but i wonder if just the old school stage musical with with great numbers and singing and dancing and you know chorus boys and chorus girls and fantastic uh, characterful performances and big smiley faces and high kicks and all the rest of it. I, I, th- I just wonder if musicals, despite being musical and oral, are also mm-hmm. about the spectacle. Yeah, I mean, there could very well I saw be. Hamilton. There's a couple of good numbers in Hamilton, but on the whole, you know, it's a great story. But what bowled me over about Hamilton more than anything was the choreography. Mm-hmm. Just absolutely fantastic. And... Um, yeah, you don't get the choreography in in audio. <laughs> right. But what's interesting about Hamilton is I, you know, I, you know, was one of the people that heard it first on the album and they really made that album so you could really listen to the whole thing and I was surprised that I felt like I got the entire story cuz usually with Oh, so Hamilton you know, works does it? I th- I thought so. I mean, then I saw it and I was like, "Oh, there's all these other visual elements yeah. like it it definitely oh that's interesting because like, that's great i almost but... thought with hamilton there were almost too many words for the stage uh-huh yeah and uh i mean the choreography is just is just astounding right right you definitely want it on stage but, for that yeah for that element alone. it's funny yeah. enough the, the song that worked the best for me was the um the song sung by the king the by the king george the third uh-huh and that was like yeah the least rappy and right. the most sort of traditional, <laughs> it was just a traditional patter song in a way. And that for me was the best song. Yeah. And also in the room where it happened, which again is mm-hmm. not that rappy. But the rappy right, stuff, I right. was like, I, I just was really struggling to to take it all in on top of everything it's else. It's hard. I mean, especially if you're hearing something for yeah. the first time, like that, the rate at which those words come at yeah, you. Yeah, and it's, they're making uh, a... It's hard to yeah, process. Yeah, and you've got to... Mm-hmm. The actors have got to have shit hot diction. Exactly. Yeah, and that the idea of a narrator is interesting. I was thinking back to in the 36 questions 
podcast, just the, um, how they had to cut, they basically came up with a device so that it, the story would keep being narrated, even though it was only two people and they were talking most of the time they mm-hmm. were, you know, they had a, a phone where they, she was first her and then him were narrating the story for us just to like, so that there would be kind of like a narration element to it. Seven hours replace two tires during the storm, and I won't leave till you open up the door. Podcast musicals kind of need yeah. that in a way to fill in those gaps yeah. of like the, the visuals. So in the stage musical version of Kisses on a Postcard, there was no narrator. And, right. and I wrote in the, in our version, I wrote him back in. And in fact, mm-hmm. I get loads yeah, of compliments it makes about sense. narration, even though it's me. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I agree. I think, I think you need, um, yeah, I think you need at least something, if not a narrator, something to fill that mm. that kind of role in it. Um, like one thing in the the House of Sunshine podcast, I felt I don't think there was as much narration, and I felt myself sometimes drift off, not knowing, yeah, yeah, yeah. not knowing exactly what was yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. Shadowpunk's narrator led as well. We're pro narrator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean if not i again and if not a narrator at least something that's gonna yeah. fill in that that guy i don't know did anthem homunculus have a narrator well he's sort I'm of the main guy it's sort of the same the, yeah i'll yeah. tell you another one uh if you i don't know if you know it prokofiev peter and the wolf mm-hmm. oh yeah i grew up watching that and yeah. uh but there's a brilliant album of that mm-hmm. uh with I don't know who I don't even know who narrates it, but he's wonderful old uh you know, theatrical voice. And you know, mm-hmm. and each each character uh in the story has his instrument, you know, and his little his little thing. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. There could be a podcast that somehow uses a podcast musical that uses kind of musical yeah. things like that too would be very cool. That would be quite easy to yeah. do, AI, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Give me a give me an interesting, interesting theme for a six-year-old boy give me an interesting musical theme for a granddad and then mix them uh, together when they have an argument based around the two musical right, themes, right. whatever you know I, I can see that working interesting there was a there's a playwrights horizons which is a off-broadway theater in new york they have a podcast series that 
uh, is mostly play is mostly audio, just audio drama, but they did have some musicals. And I just thought uh, that would be a really cool format for future podcasts as well. It was called um, Soundstage and they had two musicals as part of that uh, one by Heather Christian and one by Kirsten Childs. And uh, you know, just like a half hour musical, just one, one and one and done yeah. for each each writer. I need to go and check them out. But yeah, I mean, it's just it, to me. I'm. I think like, oh, like if a theater, you know, wants to, you know, produce something like that. I think just like a series of short musicals like that is also something really cool um, that could be done mm. um, with different writers. So, should we talk uh-huh. about kisses on a postcard? <laughs> Sure. Because it's a big, big passion project for me. Orchestra of 15, 15 piece orchestra recorded at Abbey Road, famous studios in London where Beatles recorded Mm -hmm. and so on. We were very lucky. We recorded it during the lockdown. Cast of 50 um, with uh, John Owen Jones, who's like the most popular ever, Jean Valjean from Les Mis and played the Phantom Mm -hmm. more times than anyone else. Great singer and um, 20 kids. And it's all about evacuees, vackies in World War II. Now, this is a story you probably don't know. It was a story originally written by my father, but adapted for the new genre that is the podcast musical mm-hmm. by me. The story is called Kisses on a Postcard. And the year is 1940. And we're in London. And the Germans are about to bomb London. They know the planes are coming. And so this directive went out from the government that every child under the age of 16 in every city across the UK had to be evacuated to the countryside. So we're talking about roughly 4 million children. And if you were under the age of 5, your mum could come with you. But over the age of five, she couldn't. And so it was the most, it was the large, the largest scale movement of people in British history. And my dad at the time was seven years old. His name was Terry and his brother, Jack, my uncle was 11. And can you imagine the, their mum All they knew was that they were being put on a train. They didn't know where that train was going, where they'd end up, who would take them in, or how long they would be gone for. Yeah, it's scary. Imagine (laughs) the the wrench for parents that that would have been. Never saying goodbye, sticking your kids on a train and never knowing if you would see them again. But this is the experience that was endured by every parent in Britain in 1940 in a city. So my grandmother, in order to turn the whole thing into an adventure for the children and make light of it, she, this was her plan to turn it into an adventure and she invented a secret code uh, for the two boys And she gave them a letter, uh, a a postcard. And on the postcard was her address with a little note saying, Dear Mum and Dad, arrived safe and well. 
love Jack and Terry. And the kids are like, what's the code? And mum goes, you know how to write kisses? And they say yes with a cross. Well, you put one kiss, if it's horrible, and I'll come straight down there and get you. You put two kisses, if it's okay, and you put three kisses, if it's nice, and then I'll know. So she gives them the postcard, and they've got their little satchel with their pyjamas and a change of clothes and their sandwiches and their gas masks, and she ties labels round their neck with their name on mm-hmm. so that they can be identified. Um, the same thing was happening, by the way, in the evacuation of Ukraine recently. All the kids were put on trains with their label with their names on. Right. And she walks them down to the station, and on the way down to the station, she runs into all the other mums and dads taking their kids to school, uh, taking their kids to school, taking their kids to the train. <laughs> and they put them on the train, and the train pulls away, and all the mums are just left there waving and saying goodbye on the platform you cannot imagine how much they must have wept. And Dad and his brother were living in south-east London at the time, in uh, Deptford, which was a heavily bombed area because the docks were there. And the train took them all the way across London and all the way across England down to Cornwall, which is in the southwest, the southwest tip of England. It was a five-hour journey, and they went across the whole mm-hmm. country. Cornwall's where King Arthur came from, by the way. And they were put in a tiny little village. They got off the train and they were put on a bus and the bus drove them to little villages and Dad and about 50 of his schoolmates were led to this tiny village. And in those days, people had much stronger accents than they do today. And the Cornish accent is very strong. And suddenly they've gone from the city and the docks and coal and smog to fresh air and the countryside the air smelt different the people looked different and they were herded into the village hall and they were made to stand in the middle of the village hall and all the locals just walked round them and the great expression of the time was i'll take that one there mm-hmm. and pe- the locals would just say i'll take that one there and they were picked out and they were sent to spend the rest of the war with that family Although, of course, at the time, they had no idea how long the war would be going on for. It might have ended in a fortnight. And Dad and his brother were instructed to stay together at all costs. So, you know, maybe one family came up and tried to pick one of them, and they were like, no, we're staying together, we're staying together. And eventually they were picked out by a Welsh couple who'd moved down to Cornwall from Wales. And he worked on the railways. And dad came from that generation. Dad's dad worked on the railways. My dad worked on the railways. He came from that generation of people who loved steam trains. Mm-hmm. And they were taken to this family who lived in a tiny, tiny cottage with no electricity. They were just oil lamps. And this couple lived there with their son. And he worked on the railways. And so the railway, it was a railway cottage. So the railway was at the end of his garden the main line from London to Penzance. And there were woods outside. There was a valley to explore, a hill to climb. There was a pig in the backyard, chickens in the backyard, a canary in a cage in the front room, in this smoky front room with only oil lamps. And Dad and his brother thought they had died and gone to heaven. They loved it. 
especially the trains at the end of the garden. And Auntie Rose and Uncle Jack were the couple that took them in, and they had a son, Gwyn. And this first song uh, takes place about 20 minutes into the musical, on the very first night, when Dad and his brother are sitting on a mattress in the hall, deciding how many kisses to put on their postcard. How many kisses? I vote three. What would Mum and Dad think of it here? Don't know. No electricity. They wouldn't like that. I don't care. There's no bathroom. I don't care. Outside love, all they have. I can't go in an outside love. I don't mind. I don't care. What if it's freezing cold out there? That's what the pot's for, don't you see? I vote one. I vote three. Squashed up in it, I don't care. Kisses on a postcard, we must write something we've got to do tonight. Kisses on a postcard, what will they show? Only mum is going to know. What about Gwyn? Gwyn's not bad, even though you can see he's mad. Auntie Rose, what are you saying? She says weird things, but she's okay. Not Uncle Jack, though, he plays rough. Pulled my hair, called me scruff Kisses on a postcard, what do we do? I still say three Well, I say two Kisses on a postcard, three, two, one Better be quick or it won't get done If we put lesson three, Mum and Dad will think it's rotten here They'll be worried Yeah, well, there's the trains, they're good And the station, right next to us That's terrific Hey, wait, I've just remembered Hens! What about hens? Eggs, stupid. Real eggs. Not that horrible powdery stuff. Eggs for you, eggs for me. Eggs for breakfast, supper and tea. Poached or baked, scrambled or fried. On board with soldiers on this side. What do you say now? What's your score? All right, three. I say four. You can't. Why not? Mum only said up to three. But don't you see? The more kisses we put, the more happy they're going to be. Yeah, it's terrific here, really, isn't it? Like being on holiday, only there's no sea. We don't have to stop at four. Let's do hundreds. Yeah. Kisses on a postcard, one by one. All round the edges, this is fun. Kisses on a postcard, squashed up tight.
Let's hurry. Look at them. Fast asleep. And they've covered the card in kisses. Night, night, boys. I mean, I I love this song. Um, it's so... One, it's just like a very catchy song. I think it's such a great song for kids. I love a duet also between two brother, two little brothers. I think that's so great. Um, I also love when the the chorus come like a, a chorus of voices come in. Good night, uh, children everywhere. There, yeah, I love that coming in there. So as that well. was a song that was released at the time in World War Two. And it was sung by Vera Lynn, who was a famous British patriotic singer. She sang a song, White Cliffs of Dover. She was the sort of the, mm. the uh, pin-up of all the soldiers. And they played that song, Goodnight Children Everywhere, on the radio. And it got banned. Because mm. it caused so much pain, so much emotional pain for mothers around the country who heard that song, that they banned the song. Oh, wow. But we found it and we revived it. And that's the only non-original song we use in the musical. We, but, but Because it was so mm. pertinent to that moment, I kept it in. Right, right. And yeah, it, uh, over the course of the rest of the musical, you get the whole of the adventures. It, it, we've, we've, we've just found out we've, we, got, we won best, we, we won silver in the best serialised podcast of the year award at the New York radio festivals, whatever they are, but apparently they're quite a big deal. <laughs> but um, the, yeah, you get the musical is it's a, 10 episodes, roughly half an hour each. Mm-hmm. And you get the whole of the adventures of the kids all through the war. And you get the whole of the story of the war. What, what a lot of um, you guys might like in the States is that, before the D-Day invasions, all the American soldiers were billeted on various villages around the country, especially in the south. And the regiment that was billeted in this village that Dad was in was a regiment from Louisiana. And they were all black. It was one of the black regiments. And nobody had ever seen a black mm-hmm. man before. And Dad talks about having had a, a, um, a tap dancing lesson from a man from New Orleans itself on a sheet of plywood outside the barracks. Mm. <laughs> And uh, but yeah, you've got all the adventures of the American soldiers, and you just get yeah, it's it's uh, I'm, I'm very proud of it, and uh, I hope your listeners mm-hmm. go and listen to it. Kissesonapostcard.com. Yeah. Um, you can you can listen to it on Apple Podcasts, whatever. But kissesonapostcard.com is the website that that um, takes you to all the podcast links. Yeah, it made me think a lot. I mean, it's such a great story for kids. I mean, adults as well, but definitely since the main characters are are children. And yeah, I was thinking a lot about, you know, how, um, you know, this this experience from for American children, especially is, is so is very far in like the, a war, you know, on your in your country and all that. But I, I think it's like especially since, you know, from with the pandemic, having to go through something like that for kids just to like see like, oh, there's kids went through so many different, you know, hard, hard times. Like, yeah, the pandemic was an extraordinarily hard time for kids and probably unnecessarily Mm -hmm. hard for sure. I think, I don't think America has ever actually been invaded technically, except, you know, you could say the European settlers, but I suppose that was an invasion, but, but not in the way 
you know, that Russia's currently invaded Ukraine or that William the Conqueror invaded England or that Germany invaded France, you know, none of those. I don't think America's been invaded in that way. And um, so I think that's one of the reasons why America's so big and sprawling. You tend to see European cities, they're much more densely packed and the cities tend to have walls because they were built with walls because of the because of invasions kept happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think American cities right, have walls. Yeah. <laughs> but um but That's yeah, true. the the it's you said it's for kids and it is for kids, but it's for adults as well. It's right. it's you know, it's for right. all the family and I th- I think it's they're quite an interesting subgenre of musicals which is musicals with kids in. Right. And right. it's actually a really like I there, there must be one, but I can't think of one musical with kids with kids in that hasn't been a huge success. And you've right. got, um, you know, Oliver, The Sound of Music, mm-hmm. Annie, Matilda, um, Billy Elliot. Yeah, it's funny. I know since you said Oliver was such a, um, you know, a important musical for you as a young kid. Um, there, I. I made me think of Oliver this this show a little bit just the fact that they're boys and uh following their adventures but it is more of like a family yeah I think Oliver you know I mean it was a Dickens story it was I mean Oliver's you know entertainment for all the family but I think adults like it and um, and I'm glad you made the parallel with Oliver because I see this as Oliver but for Vaki's kids for World War II kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's funny, a really right. common theme in a lot of musicals uh, with kids, but also just a lot of stories with kids generally, is the kids are often orphaned in some way. So you mm-hmm. think of Harry Potter or something like that. You know, it's a common... Right. In, o- Oliver, obviously, as well. And this, Kids on a Postcard, in a way, is that, you know, the kids are orphaned. They're separated from their parents. Yeah, the the finding of a a new family, yeah. the, that whole, that whole story. Yeah, that's true. Great. Well, should we move on to our last sure. section, um, which I call something wonderful and it's just something upcoming or current in musical theater, uh, could be a musical, a book, a musical theater book, an event or something that we're excited about or want to give a shout out to. Um, the only, I can't really think of anything, Shoshana, except kisses on a postcard. <laughs> I just think it's it's. I keep um, pumping that, but having yeah, having having promoted it and made it, I now want to do something mm-hmm. else. I'd like to do a podcast about the um, peasants' revolt. But mm. um, yeah, I'm I'm I've got a show, a musical comedy show on May the third in mm-hmm. London, Crazy Cox in Piccadilly Circus. So if you happen to be in London, come <laughs> along to that and listen to some fine comic songs with nice. good lyrics. I wish I could be there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll just say I'm seeing a lot of stuff in May. Uh, I am planning to see Oliver. There's a production in New York in May, so I'm excited to see Oliver. And uh, I'm excited. There's a Elizabeth Swatos musical uh, or music theater piece at La Mama in May also called The Beautiful Lady that I'm planning to see. So I'm excited to see that as well. Perfect. Great stuff. Mm-hmm. 
thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. If you aren't yet a Patreon subscriber, this would be a great week to join. For as little as $3 a month, you'll get to hear some great conversations with the guests that didn't make it onto the episodes. You can write to scenetosong at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater, or if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Love this podcast? Help it find more listeners by rating it on Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Follow on Instagram at scenetosong, on Twitter at scenesong, and on Facebook at Scene to Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. Sign up for our monthly e-newsletter at scenetosong.substack.com. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next episode.